thanks for listening to Let the Right Films In, which is usually a podcast on the IMDb 250, but isn't really, but kind of is, but we're still adapting that as our brand. Um, you're listening to the end of the year extravaganza, where all of us, hi, Kayla and Tyler, Hello. Um, Woo! <laughs> are going to talk about our favorite movies. And this is my segment of the three that I picked, since I have such great taste and I'm such a cinephile and, you know, um, really professional human being. And the first movie is Britney Ever After, which is a Lifetime original. I'm not going to say I was fun, because I wasn't. You guys didn't see that, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> it's been topping my watch list all year, but I never quite made time Honestly, if we had had more time between you telling me that and recording, I would have watched it. Absolutely. But there wasn't time. It's Oh, it's such a beautiful disaster. Um, I think that's the best way of putting it. It did not have Britney's blessing at all. It came out... Mm, I'm trying to think. Oh, it came out in February. I watched it a lot. I was so excited for it because it looked terrible. <laughs> the production photos. I mean, she looks nothing like Britney. The guy who's Justin. Everything just looks so terrible and so like low budget. So you knew it was going to be awful. And she is Australian. So I was really curious about how her Britney voice was going to sound. And it's it's almost it's it's it, yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's there. <laughs> I, I think I, it's just one of those movies where, like, I would, if I could own it, I would, because sometimes you just need to drink wine and, like, have a night in and, like, laugh, cry, and that is what that movie's for. It's, like, while it's, like, a fun, enjoyable disaster, like, it makes Britney really seem like, this woman who's had a career for two decades really makes her seem like this helpless, can't do anything, it, it just is dependent on, like, men and, like, her parents, and it's just, it really, it makes her look awful, which no wonder why her, her and her team passed on it and it didn't have her blessing. But most biopics, I find, do a really bad job of um, accurately portraying like like the person that like the biopic's about. For example, uh, I saw The Light, the Hank Williams biopic with Tom Hiddleston. If I, Hank's family like gave them their blessing and then they pulled it after the, uh, the movie came out because they made Hank Williams just seem like this horrible, awful, like womanizing like monster with like no hope. It was so bleak. Um, and then make the social network, but Zuckerberg is kind of a douchebag. So that wasn't too too far off but this one really made Britney look pretty awful but I think what bothers me the most are were the historical inaccuracies uh, and how like the iconic like denim like dress like the, the, the couple's costume that her and uh, <laughs> like Jessica were they, they, they made it a denim jumpsuit instead of a denim dress that's just how like, could they you can't, okay so I get that you have to rewrite history sometimes for biopics to make it juicy or whatever but that's just an undeniable cultural touchstone image you don't mess with the denim like that sounds sarcastic but i'm 100 percent serious like how did they think they were gonna get away with that <laughs> and that people were gonna just be like okay but the and the best thing is so they couldn't get licensing to any of britney's catalog like at all so it's just like her cover of like i love rock and roll and then like another cover and that's it that's all we get for like music throughout the whole thing that is so incredible <laughs> i cannot wait so do they like do does she just perform only that song a couple of times or is there just only one concert scene yeah there are two concert scenes 
And it's that one. We kind of see her like do like the gimme the gimme more like thing, but like we don't hear the song. Um, and then and then there's like a third like oh her performance ends up being really great and woohoo and blah blah blah. But you can tell it's in like a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> and, like, just edited in like the crowd and oh my, it's so it's so horribly low budget. I, I just. I think I love it, it and then I have great. to see it Im- immediately. Let me just ask really quick. So where would you rank this with the other Lifetime biopics? Would you say it's on par with the Brittany Murphy disaster or maybe like uh, more towards like Save by the, the Save by the Bell one that I've unfortunately seen? <laughs> so the best, I would say the best Lifetime like biopic is probably the uh, the true crime one. The um, God, who is that? horrible bitch who stabbed like her boyfriend in the throat 50 times oh jody arias um (laughs) that was incredibly accurate and wonderful and well cast i don't know how they did it truthfully um but this is is this worse than saved by the bell and i would still maybe say saved by the bell is like probably like i think you we cringe more during saved by the bell than during if you're pretty rapid, you just feel bad the whole time. <laughs> you're like, why did this happen? <laughs> you're kind of guilty for like watching it because you're like, you know, Britney's like really mad about this. So, yeah, those I was, yeah. Oh, the Saved by the Bell one, nightmares, nightmares. <laughs> but, but yeah, I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst, but also watch it. <laughs> I've done yeah. that many times. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe there will be a disaster artist about it one day. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> that is a good segue into my next movie. Um, perfect segue, actually, because the second movie I picked is The Disaster Artist. Action! I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, did you guys see that not yet because unfortunately the like local indie theater that got it first it was like sold out the whole first weekend so it was also the like grand reopening of that theater after almost a year of remodeling Oh, so okay. soon we I did, did wa- see we the did room watch for the, room. the first yeah time. we watched that because we really thought we were going to see it <laughs> the first time you guys like run a film podcast and- <laughs> all right we so, talk about good movies most of the time so in explanation tyler and i are usually not fans of the so bad it's good genre no. however i was enthralled and obsessed with every second it's actually a masterpiece it was incredible the hype was real like yeah i was i had such a good time and like i kept getting mad because ben was like talking i'm like i'm trying to like under he's like you're not gonna understand what's happening kayla like it doesn't matter (laughs) you kept trying to understand what was happening on the screen (laughs) and the best part of the room is that you can't understand a single thing that's happening on the screen maybe someday but i think lauren and the disaster artist maybe have some insights lauren's an expert compared to us (laughs) Well, did you see the room like with an audience? Like, like so. No, we like, watched it at our apartment. The, the three of us. An audience uh, of us. And my cat. So, <laughs> yeah. So, what my so my mother and I uh, the other night on Friday we went to a uh, like a double feature. So we saw the disaster artist and then we saw the room. So we saw the room with. So basically, when you go to the room at, at a midnight screening, it's just like going to see Rocky Horror. Um, people actually will dress up. 
And they, like, you throw things at the screen. There are certain things you yell during certain scenes. Like, and it's, it's really bonkers. It was probably the most fun I've ever had in the theater. Um, It was amazing. And so we saw the disaster artist right beforehand. And I I didn't know what to expect from, just from the trailers. I was like, oh, it's probably gonna be like a cute comedy, like whatever. But I was blown away. I mean, I, Franco is going to get nominated for so many, for so much. I feel like this is probably his, I've seen a lot. I don't know how, but I have seen a lot of the James Franco catalog. I have seen a lot of his movies. I don't know. Don't ask me why. I don't really know. Because he keeps making so many movies that it's impossible to miss James Franco. That that is true. Um, This was probably his best performance. I mean, the accuracy. He also looks like Tommy Wiseau, which is like super weird. But what I really liked about this movie, so it's based on the memoir that Greg Cicero, co-star of The Room, um, wrote about making the movie with Tommy and his life and his acting career. Um, and which I didn't know existed. So that's the top thing on my Amazon wishlist now. But I guess it just, it wasn't what I expected in that, like, it was just so well made and and James Franco directed it. It was, every moment was so carefully placed. Everything was just, and all, all like, like the the moments that were really serious, that like actually like broke your heart a little bit. And the moments that were like laugh out loud funny, like everything was so spot on. And just so well done. I was so surprised because it's James Franco and Seth Rogen. There's no craft. There's never, there was no craft. There's no craft. They've actually done some good work together. It's just they're usually crafting jokes. Yeah, yeah. And and so I, I honestly, when I saw that it said like directed by James Franco, I was just like, wait, we watched a movie that was directed by James Franco? This was directed really? Like it was, I, I just, I ha- I don't really have proper words without, like, giving, like, the whole thing away. Like, it's an experience. It's just like the room. The room is an experience. You go, you go into it knowing it's bad, and you just let yourself feel everything. Doesn't it, like, dive into the relationship, the friendship between Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero? Yes. So, at some point, it does, and then they reconnect. Like, in real life, they host screenings, and they still work together and are best friends, which is, like, the cool thing about it and they actually show scenes from the room in the disaster artist and they and they show like the scenes they filmed in the disaster artist like of the movie like side by side and the accuracy is kind of amazing we get greg cicero time was oh, still they're still friends tommy loved the disaster artist he like loved the memoir super supportive and in the movie you see how tommy was like like he's nuts he's just he's just as nuts as i've always thought he would be my friend Addison, like, she's like, oh, he has to be an alien because why else would he think that human beings speak like that and like do things like that? And because you, the whole thing is, you have no idea where he's from, you have no idea how old he is, and like Greg doesn't care. He's like, I want to be a star, so I'm gonna follow this dude to Hollywood, <laughs> live in his house, and just like hope I become famous. And so in the in the movie, kind of the disaster artist kind of angles it where like Tommy wrote the room like for Greg. And, and there's like some like under, there's like some slightly implied like homoerotic undertones, which like people on the internet have been complaining about, but uh, I, but it's really, it's a film about friendship and like following your dreams and like forgiveness. It's just really beautiful, actually. It's what he, Tommy Wiseau always intended the room to be, a beautiful ode to the human condition. Yeah, I'm so excited to see this. Like for me, Tommy Wiseau is such a weird like, I, I can't help but be enthralled by him. He says he made his yeah. money by selling jeans or something. Jeans and real estate, yeah. Real estate, and I, yeah. 
there's just something wholesome about like how bad he is at everything, but how much he cares and tries so hard. I don't know. I just, I just love him. Yeah. And you get all of that in the movie. Like the passion, his passion is so misguided. He's this all, he's an awful person to work with. Like, you know, like everyone ends up like quitting and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's just, it's like the worst process ever. But it's really, at like the root of it, it's really about like Tommy and Greg and, and, and Tommy being like, well, as long as Greg believes in me, I can do this movie. And Greg being like, you're holding me back from my career. But he forgives him. And, and you know, the room ends up being this cold hit in the end. So it's, it's really all about, there's some really great messages in the movie about never giving up, about going the distance for your, your dreams and risking it all. And also just like, keeping your friends close and like believing in each other and how important like that kind of bond is. And somehow it's about the room. Uh, <laughs> like, and it's also James Franco. Yeah. It's just a really beautiful film and it's, and it's well crafted. I, I never thought I would say that before about anything James Franco's in or has done, but there's just also, it's also laugh out loud funny. And I mean, you'll, you'll laugh the entire time. Like, and you'll have tears in your eyes, but then like, you'll actually like, like maybe I cried a little bit, just a little bit, all right? There, don't tell anybody, but just a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. I cry at literally everything in movies. It's very embarrassing. Same. Very good. Good. Um, uh, and so watching The Room right after was beautiful. But the best thing about The Room is is watch when I watched it with, you know, a, a full audience of people who, like, knew. Well, all of, I forget. There's a term for that. It's called, like, shadow something. Shadow cast, yeah. Shadow casting, Yeah. Like so, it was kind of sort. It was sort of like that. Um, the fact that people have the entire movie memorized, and people were dressed up as different characters, and were just it was kind. Of, and you get an audience guide. You have to throw spoons during certain scenes, like classic spoons. <laughs> um, and every every time the camera pans over to like like the the, the Golden Gate Bridge, and there's Alcatraz, you have to yell Alcatraz. <laughs> and then every time Danny walks into the room, you have to say hi, Danny. Is his name Danny or Denny? Because yeah, Danny. Danny. Okay, we were having Denny. a hell of a time trying to figure out what the fuck his name is it's, the entire time we were watching Denny. it. It's like somewhere between an E and an I. I have Denny. No, yeah, I think that the Ben settled Denny. on that the actress was just making fun of the way that Tommy says it. Oh, that's yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's possible too. So my my third movie is Lady Bird. Ladybird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Ladybird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. Which I cried like really hard towards the end, and the girl next to me like turned to me and looked at me, and I literally was like, "What? Like, do you <laughs> like what? Like, you don't have a soul? Oh, awesome. you dry-eyed okay. monster! Oh my god, that's horrible." <laughs> looked at me i literally was like what not like, even like a sympathetic look like oh are you okay like yeah like it's fucking sad and i went with <laughs> my mom so that made it like even more like fucking sad yeah you had every me. reason to cry i was sitting there tears streaming down my face all during star wars i probably looked like a madman oh star wars i can't relate <laughs> I, I i sympathize i sympathize <laughs> Um, so I went with Lady Bird not knowing what it was going to be about. I li- this is one of the only movies where I was like, everyone keeps saying it's good, so I'm going to go. That that was just my, I didn't see a single trailer for it. I just went into it. And I was like, okay. And it's it's a really beautiful co- uh, coming of age film. Um, and like a Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan is incredible. And, and it's just, oh, like it's, 
I'm so bad at, at explaining things I love because I just want to call it beautiful and wonderful for an hour. Um, <laughs> but it's set in um, Sacramento, which is apparently the Midwest of California. And she wants to leave. She wants to get out so badly. And it's her, you know, going through high school and being a theater kid and like falling in love and, you know, and finally like, you know, getting to like finally like her and her mother have this really complicated relationship and she's trying to break free of that but at the same time like they're both learning you know like how they can love each other better um and they go to and she goes to a catholic school which was hilarious memories for me i just i <laughs> god like god we really we really dress like that and, and the nuns were really like that but um i was actually surprised by the theater kid element i thought that made it actually like so much better it was just really cute and like like high school theater, like when it's not done well, when when they're when the people running it aren't really into it, and ends up being like the most hilarious thing in the world. Um, whereas like my sister was in a program in high school that was like Broadway quality, so that that I don't know that was probably my favorite. Actually, my favorite, one of my favorite elements of it was just seeing her like you know get into the school play and like the the roles were just made up because they were trying to get everyone to have a chance like to be in like it's just oh you got you got a part in the temptus as what the temptus that's not a real character <laughs> um but yeah it was really did you guys did you guys see it, you I, see it? this is a, i am literally so depressed that i haven't seen it yet but also i don't know if i'm emotionally ready because the last like intense coming of age girl story that I watched was Tanner Hall with Rooney Mara. And I am literally still not over them putting a star song in the credits. So you also haven't seen raw yet. Another tense coming of age tale. about a Yeah, no lady bird is on the list, but it's one of those things where it's like, I gotta be ready. Cause I yeah. just already know that that specific storyline is going to be incredibly affecting to me. So you gotta be ready. But I also have <laughs> to give Greta Gerwig money. Because it was directed, written by, and loosely based on the life of Greta Gerwig. And she is everything. And I must give her money and success that she already has. But I want to be part of it. Yeah. I love her. Lady Bird is also supposedly it's it's a prequel to another, like, really big Greta Gerwig movie. But I don't really remember what it is or know what it is, actually. Francis Ha? I don't. Is that? People are saying... yeah, let me. Um, and I was going to look over that. I, I really, I think Fran- sure Francis Ha so. is the best uh, contender. I also for that, think I yeah. saw that headline. Okay. Although she is in Lola Versus too, which is also kind of like a drifty mid twenties. I haven't seen that one yet. I need to fix that. We might have that. I don't think so. Okay, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> very excited to see it <laughs> when I get a chance to emotionally stabilize enough to handle it. And you know, yeah. get past the holidays that are quite busy. Yes. You know, those 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 are two of the big ones that I really want to fit in before the end of the year. In addition to all the okay horror movies that I for some reason feel compelled to fit in this year. <laughs> but Lauren, those are free free movies. Do you want to take us to our guests? So those are my three films. Next up, you'll be hearing from some of our guests and who have much better taste in films than I do. Although my last two, yeah, were not I'm like, that I feel bad. like the last two you picked are pretty like prestigious year-end also, picks. Honestly, how dare you make fun of yourself in front of us like that? Only we can make fun of you like that on this podcast. Fine, I just, have, I just, I just can't believe I feel so strongly about Britney Ever After. Like, I, like, I've, I've shocked myself. <laughs> have you seen me not shut up about Jurassic World or the um, Book of Henry or anything Colin Trevorrow touches? 
That's true. Sometimes we just have those pet projects. (laughs) I see, Lauren, your pet project sounds fun and like a good time. And like you're enjoying life doing it. That's true. Go on a more negative route with those things sometimes. Thank thank you, Tyler. Thank you for your wonderful approval. (laughs) I guess I'll just jump out of the window now. (laughs) All right. Awesome. (laughs) Sitting with me now is longtime friend, past guest, Leela Amparo. Leela, how's it going? Hey, guys. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for having me today. We are so pleased to have you back. Uh, no Kayla this time, but yeah, alas, I will have to do. But you did you, you did pick a 2017 movie, as did, did. Yeah, as was the instructions. You know, that was the one thing you had to do to get on. So good job. I Great tried. Job so I far. tried my hardest. Thanks, man. <laughs> and uh, what, what was that movie and why did you pick that one? So this one's, uh, if you know me, it's probably going to come as a surprise because usually I go with like the sci-fi drama type films. But for 2017, one of my favorites was Kingsman, The Golden Circle. And a lot of people give me crap for this, actually. (laughs) But I absolutely loved this. Uh, Reason I loved it, it was a great continuation of the first one. And if for, you know, for any listeners out there who are not familiar, Kingsman is like, the just the funnier version of all the Bond movies. So it still has all the great action, but I just I think the cast is just so great. They work really well with one another. And you still have a bit of the action, but a lot of just great dialogue and a lot of funny ideas. Um, so this one, yeah, I think I think they nailed it. Uh, you know, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes or any online forum for that matter, it's kind of a toss up. But for me, it just it was great. It was one of the best. Yeah, one of the best films I saw this year. You touched on maybe my favorite thing about the entire series, which is the casting, because they have they have the cast goes so deep and mm-hmm. they do such a good job. In this one, they added Channing Tatum, Pedro yeah. Pascal, <laughs> yeah. Julianne Moore, who all get to have a great time just being not hammy, but getting to really just, just go wild. Yeah, you know, and I think for most of them, you know, I mean, Shannon Tatum, he's done some funny stuff, but it was great to see uh, Julianne Moore, especially, play the villain. And it was just like, okay, I can get into this. Like, just a weird, you know, offshoot, not your stereotypical villain. And so those little details, and I think they had a lot of them in the film, um, it just added up for me and it made it so great. And Taron Egerton, I have not seen him in much outside the Kingsman movies, but mm-hmm. When I watch the Kingsman movies, I can't but think this guy should be a superstar. He's right? so good and winning and just 
like delightful, which is my favorite word, unfortunately. But <laughs> yeah, he just is. He's so charming. In his accent, especially in the film, I, you know, I'm not sure how close it is to his everyday accent, but he has me wanting to say bruv like every chance I get. And I, and I do <laughs> like every now and then it's like called for. But uh, no, he's he's so great. Along with Colin Firth, he comes back in this one. Uh, even Elton John, he has a, like a random little cameo in this. And it's like, okay, that could be really cheesy. But he, no, he does great. <laughs> it fits you, so well. You talk about the new cast getting to go for it and be as weird and extra as they want to be. That Elton John gets to really oh, have yeah. a good time. He goes, yeah, it's not even just like a, a two minute, like, oh, that's cute. That's Elton John in the background. Like, no, he's his own character and like part of the plot. <laughs> With this one, for all the over-the-top stuff, uh, it also gets really emotional and mm-hmm. really is at least trying to do some of that major, some major character stuff throughout, uh, both continuing relationships from the last movie and correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, was it? <laughs> it was quite the theatrical experience, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some moments where it's like, okay, that was a bit over the top, but I see what you're going for. I see the arc and why it felt like you had to do that. But yeah, seeing seeing the relationship uh, between uh, Taryn's character, Eggsy, and Colin Firth's character, Harry, it was just like, it, it was just, it was nice to see that they really focused on that, um, which, you know, along with Merlin, that was a really big relationship that you saw, um, yeah, just develop between most of the characters. They, they have a great camaraderie and just, you really buy the... I guess with both of them, I guess it's like a fa- adopted father relationship. But uh, yeah, yeah, th- those guys are all tremendous, and uh, it's really fun to see them work together. Especially e- Egerton still coming up; you don't see him as much. Mark Strong, uh, mm-hmm. Merlin. I don't know. Uh, like he does not always get the best work because he's more of a character actor. And Colin Firth will do. You know, he has his king speeches and all. It's Man, yeah. I feel like I keep coming back to this, but it just, they have, they rel- really relish the fun they get to have here while still packing that emo- emotional actory punch. Yeah, no, well said. It's very true. Um, and I, and I do love too in both the Kingsman movies, like the detail to like small things and like some of the stereotypes, like with the statesman in this one, um, for example, all the statesmen are named after different American alcohol. So you have like bourbon, whiskey, tequila. And for me, that was just, it was like, well, of course, like that, if we did have a secret service that was like that, our Kingsman would be named after American liquor. <laughs> yes. <that's laughs> Just little American things. liquor, they like guns, all the good American tropes. Yeah, exactly. It was like, yeah, yeah, they nailed that. And uh, <laughs> and for me, I think the extra, the funny part that like really nailed it was um, there is some Swedish stereotypes because he is, I completely forgot until the opening right. scene, but he's married to that Swedish princess. And it was like, oh, my God, they actually brought that back. <laughs> like, they really carried that back. And and there are just some things that was like, oh, yeah, they nailed that. That's very true of Swedish people. And the only reason I feel like I can say that is because I'm moving to Sweden. And I've been one too many times. And I'm seeing these things where I'm like, oh, yeah, Kingsman got that. From an American standpoint, totally accurate. Yeah, we were talking about uh, you in Sweden. And I did not make that connection at all as we were leading up to talking about this. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a scene where Eggsy tries to uh, to speak to the king and queen of Sweden in Swedish, and he like he just fails miserably. And they're like, you know, let's just we'll just speak English for your sake. And that's that's exactly how it is. We're just like, <laughs> like yeah, no, I suck at Swedish, so I, I definitely relate with his character uh, with any parts when it comes to that. <laughs> like I was a little more mixed on this one myself, but the stuff that works really works in it. 
Yeah, no, and it, and it makes sense. So, you know, I read a lot of reviews of why people weren't into it, and I had to agree. Like, there were some things with, like, uh, Roxy, you know, early in the movie. Like, I don't want to ruin it, but that was one thing. I was like, ah, that was kind of a weird decision to yeah. do that with that character. Um, so I definitely understand why some people were just, like, not totally in love with it like they were with the first. But um, I think, if I if I remember correctly, it looks like there's going to be a third one, I think. You can never really truly believe that anyone is actually dead in this universe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a very good point. They they introduce technology. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. (laughs) Given away in flavors, everyone knows that Colin Farrell comes back. They used it to advertise the movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. And when you have that, the kind of technology that Kingsman have, you never know what might happen. Yeah. Also, people escape from explosions. Or well, that's too much. That's too much. You're right. Actually, we can can spoil if we want, but you seem to be edging around the spoilers. Yeah. And and I do feel like the spoilers, though, they happen within like the first like 20, 30 minutes. So if people are really curious, just get on iTunes, just go see it. I think it's still in some theaters. Like it's a holiday season. It's a really good movie to just throw on, you know, like you don't have to pay too close attention as if you're going to miss anything, but it's still fun enough to just have as like, Oh yeah, I just want to, you know, lay here, kill some time and have a good laugh. The politics is also weird because there's remember oh, that they right. have this president, but like the president is a George Bush type. Mm-hmm. And so it almost feels like delightfully irrelevant commentary. Yeah. In a yeah. Way. It's like, Oh, right. That guy, that was a time way back when, I mean, I know it was terrible, but it was a few years back. So it doesn't sting quite the way it could have, if they'd gone another direction. Yeah, no. And that's true. And it's, it, it is kind of funny. Cause I, when I was thinking of it at first, I was like, are we going for a, a Bush like jab or are we going for a Trump jab here? But either way, it's, it could be any American president. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah, that might happen here. <laughs> I forgot how much, like, yeah. It happens with some of these movies. There's just so much going on that mm-hmm. you keep remembering these little bits. Like, right, that was a part of the movie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was a plot line too. So between <laughs> Elton John, you know, Julianne Moore's villain, you have the Swedish princess, this crazy president. It's a, uh, it's a lot, but at least it's not too much to where you know your brain hurts after. Yeah, when so many blockbusters are being safe, this one kind of prides itself on really going for it, which makes at least uh, in- in- interesting viewing. but yeah do you have any final thoughts on kingsman lila um i think it's something that yeah everyone should check out you know just go see it it's a fun one just a nice chill movie throw it on get some great laughs out of it and wait for the third one but i loved it i thought it was great excellent well again lila thanks so much for being on we are always glad thanks tyler i really appreciate it man and uh where can people find you elsewhere because you also make music i do yeah yeah so you can find me on twitter facebook instagram any of those uh it's lila amparo l-e-l-a-a-m-p-a-r-o uh and yeah i just released a new ep reigns if any of you guys are into any ambient acoustic instrumental chill type stuff feel free to check it out and i would heavily back that not only because you're my friend but also your music is actually <laughs> stunning and great for uh, what I need to put my, when i need to like relax a bit and calm down it's uh yeah no a big fan big fan and friend oh thanks man <laughs> thanks for the kind words i appreciate it i love that right Leo. well thanks again we'll see, talk to you in the new year sounds good thanks tyler and scene
All right, and sitting with me now is Phil Meyer, good friend and past guest. Phil, thanks for coming on today. Uh, nice to be on. And what movie did you pick for us? Uh, okay, so I took I took copious notes this time, and uh, let me get to them real quick. Uh, okay, so the movie I'm doing is called uh, Speed Rate. No, that's not correct. The movie I'm calling uh, I, that I'm doing is Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, a 2017 movie. Um, not my favorite movie this year. Um, it's not great, but I really liked it. I, I had a lot of fun with it, and I just feel like more people should see it because though it's flawed, it has a lot of heart to it. Um, so, uh, it's a movie based on a, uh, French comic, I believe from the late seventies, early eighties called, uh, Valerian and Laureline. And, um, what I really love about it is just how much that shows in the movie. Like it, as I'm watching, I just feel like I can see each comic panel like the dialogue it feels like it was ripped straight from the comics. Like it's just that campy and everything. And I just, I, I adore that. But what really, what I really love is just like the way it opens and frames everything. Um, so it opens with uh, a shuttle going to a space station with uh, David Bowie's space oddity playing over it. And like the, shuttle docks the people in the space station open the airlocks and greet their first uh, visitor from uh, another country and then this repeats and repeats and repeats again and again and the space station grows and grows and grows and over time aliens start showing up and every time an alien shows up or another person shows up they greet them at the airlock they shake their hands and another alliance is formed and eventually this space station grows so big that they have to fire it out of Earth's orbit or else it will fall into the Earth and it's big enough. It's the size of a planet, so it will actually crush Earth. So they jettison it away, and that is your city of a thousand planets. Um, and uh, as the as the plot goes on, we learn about, you know, this uh, other planet, and then they end up in, like, an apocalypse sort of situation and uh, then we meet Valerian, who is cast uh, as Dane DeHaan, and it's one of the worst miscastings ever, I think. I cannot think of a worse actor to play this role than Dane DeHaan. Like, nothing against him, but he just he doesn't fit the role and the character. I have heard that. Being that, said, yes. that being said, he still does do a fairly okay job i mean he gets it done um so the movie just has like really gorgeous visuals i didn't get a chance to see it in 3d like i wanted to and i heard great things about the 3d for it but i would if i ever get the chance to do it see it in 3d i'm going to um because it's just gorgeous and one of the best parts about it is i found out that this movie was crowdfunded and it's technically an independent film mm-hmm because it was crowdfunded and uh, that just blew me away after finding that out, having watched it and been like, holy crap, this is like a, you know, a modern day blockbuster. Um, but just the visuals, um, the world is so realized, like 
Uh, it feels lived in. They don't really have to explain a bunch. You meet characters and you feel like you know them just because of the way that the main characters like talk to them and, and have conversations with them. And that's just awesome because most movies cannot capture that. And I really, I really enjoy that. Um, there's some problems like Dane DeHaan. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there's like a marriage slash romance plot that ha- that happens between uh, Valerian and Laureline, which isn't great. Like it's, it seems very forced. There's not a lot of chemistry between the two in most scenes. Some scenes it is there, but most scenes it's not. Um, Rihanna's whole thing is a little, eh. God, she was in this. Yeah, it's and she does a fine job. It's much better than she was in Battleship, but um, just it, it it doesn't it doesn't do enough, and we only, we're only with the character for so long, um, so there's not a lot there. Um, John Goodman's in it for a very brief uh, what bit. He he he's the vo- he's the voice of one of the aliens, and uh, immediately I just part of the reason I fell in love with it because I love John Goodman. He's one of my favorite working actors. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a fun movie. The world is lived in and the world is realized and it feels, it feels real. It feels like this is something that just is happening right now. Like you're watching it happen. Like there's nothing, nothing feels really forced in terms of the world. Like you're not, you're not sitting there afterwards asking questions of how did that, it was more like, I want to know more about that. Like, it, it's 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 all good stuff in terms of the world, and that's what I really like about it. Like if they had cast somebody else, like I feel like the person who should have been older and like like a Christian Bale sort of like not Christian Bale, but like somebody around his age, because Valerian is feels like his character is more of a grizzled veteran than a somebody who's younger than me. <laughs> um, but it, it, it all comes together pretty well. It's a fun movie. I ha- I, I've seen it twice now, and I really, I really enjoyed it, and I want to watch it more times. It feels like what I wished Jupiter Ascending would have been. Ooh. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We had a good time with Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> Jupiter Ascending's a good time, but take, take it from me. This is a better time, and... I mean, there's no Channing Tatum dog it's, person. It but. sounds like it might be a bit better realized than Jupiter Ascending was yeah. and have maybe a better yeah. handle on what the world is. Yes. And that's, that's what I like about it. Excellent. Like it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And I like, it's not the best movie this year by any means, but it's just a good time. And I want more people to see it because it, it's, it's kind of a crime that it made as little money as it did. And it costs a lot of money, even for an independent film, but apparently the money is all mm-hmm. up there on the screen. Yes. Yeah. Nothing, nothing was laid bare. It was, uh, yeah, they, they went this, some of the, like there, there's like a starship battle and a starship chase and stuff. And those are just like, I mean, dare I say better than, some of the stuff in Last Jedi. So say, um, maybe if people are like, disappointed with the Last Jedi, they should turn to Valerian for their space fun. Yeah, if they if they want shitty male characters, it's that's the best place to go. Is shitty misogynist male characters is Valerian? Hell yeah, get that set late seventies early eighties uh tropes in there. Hell yeah, 
Excellent. Well, that is <laughs> what a great place to go to. We have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll end there. Well, I definitely do want to watch Valerian. Do you have any final points you want to make about it? A final plea to get the masses to turn to this movie that they shunned before? Uh, there may be a sequel. Uh, Luke Besson still wants to make a sequel, and he's going to do what he can to make it because the the movie did make money, just not much. <laughs> just not um, here, but. That's true too. It didn't make a lot of money here, but it did make money. I think it. I think it made like a hundred million profit, which is fairly good for an independent film. In all seriousness, but um, yeah, there's a sequel coming out. It it's a pretty good movie with even with its flaws, and I like flawed movies a lot of the time when they're well realized and fun. So I highly recommend. Excellent. Well, thanks much, Phil, and thank you again for being on. We look forward to having you on again in the new year. sitting with me now, which is the way I introduce every segment, even though I'm never sitting with those people, I realize, is a frequent guest, longtime contributor, writer, blogger, internet user, for now until net neutrality bans him for his terrible takes. It's Gabe Bacons. Hello, hello. I'm here with some takes. You know, I realize I never asked if you prefer, is your professional name Gabriel? Is it Gabe? What's the deal? I, I'm pretty sure that it's listed as Gabriel on Substream. I would honestly have to check to make sure, but either well, one works. Then you have already plugged outside of the plug section by dropping the name of your uh, of your magazine, so I'm going to have to cancel this entire thing. But let's still make you go through the exercise. You have selected one movie from 2017 that you liked, and you say you have a major point to make about it. Game, what is that movie? Why did you like it? And what is that point? All right, uh, my movie that I chose is the Lego Batman movie, which came out in February, which is the sort of sequel, sort of spinoff of the Lego movie, which was also a delightful movie. Uh, my big point about this movie and why I loved it so much is that, okay, so when, you, when we talk about Batman, like Batman is an inherently dark character. You know, like his parents were murdered in front of him as a child. He never got he over darkness. it. He has no parents. He likes everything in black as the Lego movie only, and only the Lego movie has taught me. 
Exactly. So, I mean, inherently, like, if you look at him, he's a deeply broken man, like, beating the shit out of, like, shoplifters because his parents were murdered when he was a child. I mean, when you put it that way, <laughs> that is a way to phrase it, yes. So, a lot of the recent things and adaptations that have Batman in them have leaned very much into that darkness. A lot of the new comics series uh, that feature him go very into that. Obviously, the Dark Knight trilogy. But I kind of like, I like my superheroes when they're fun. You know, like, they're superheroes. They're supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. So I think what I love about the Lego Batman movie is that it does one of the best jobs of balancing those two sides of Batman. Like, obviously, it's the Lego movie. It's goofy. Will Arnett is goofy as Batman. And, like, all sorts of zany adventures happen. But at the same time, it does stay true to those darker parts of Batman. Like, this entire movie, he's kind of motivated by the fact that he doesn't have a family, that he's alone. You have this relationship with the Joker, which they treat it as a joke that, like, they're quote unquote dating like and Batman won't be exclusive to Joker but in the comics I don't think there's a hero and villain that are as closely connected as Batman and Joker and you could argue that the Joker in his own weird twisted way does love Batman so I just think that this movie does a really good job of taking those serious parts of Batman which are important to the character but not going too grimdark with them and still embracing kind of the fun superhero part of it Giving it that Lego movie tra- treatment in which the jokes come quickly, come fast. There's a real emotion in there and they sneak it in and make you cry at the last minute. But then you're right off back to the races, laughing at all the little bits and Will Arnett singing. And man, all like all those cool Lego villains that were in it, like you had the Eye of Sauron just popping up out of nowhere. That's that's the nice thing when you have access to all these different properties and you're doing a Lego movie, which <laughs> a Lego movie, not the Lego movie, because Lego sets of all these things exist. So you can just make Legos out of anything. Really, the sandbox is infinite. Now, to be very reductive, and because I haven't seen all of the Lego Batman movie, uh, do you prefer the Lego movie or the Lego Batman movie? Oh, that is a tough question. I think or sorry, sorry, or the Lego Ninjago movie. Which I never saw, so. <laughs> I can't believe you came on this movie to talk about a Lego movie and you're not even well-versed in your Lego-verse. I know. I'm, I'm, I bring shame to the to the small bricks. I think between the two, I honestly think that I prefer uh, the Lego Batman movie because I do think it does just bring a little bit more of that gravitas than the Lego movie proper did. That is high praise indeed because I love the Lego movie. It's one of my favorite things. I don't I don't dislike the Lego movie. I just like the Batman one more. Okay, okay. It's your favorite Lego movie. Is it also your favorite Batman movie? Ooh. It? Ooh, that is a great question. Mm-hmm. Off, the t- off the top of my head, I, th- I think it might be. Now let's answer I all think- the important questions. Better Joker performance, Heath Ledger or wh- whatever famous person voices him in this? Zach Galifianakis, but I mean, Heath Ledger is. <laughs> oh, it's so good. What if? What if they uh, would have been? Able, what if they would have been able to trade places in Batman franchises? I mean, why trade places? We got to team them up. Let's get someone on the phone. Heath Ledger, Zach Galifianakis, team up. I'm ready for it. Okay, that's going to be difficult for a few reasons. Why? Um, something terrible happened. 
Nope, not that I can think of. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm going to get my agent on the phone uh, for once again, <laughs> and then we're going to figure this out. I'm going to hammer out the screenplay. It's going to be great. But so the Lego Batman movie, your favorite Legos, your favorite Batman. Uh, do you have any final points you want to make about the Lego Batman movie and why it should totally win best animated feature or something? Uh, I think just on top of everything else, it is very well made. It is a lot of the same people who worked on the Lego movie. Uh, Chris McKay, who edited that, is now the director of this one. Uh, all the performances are really good. It, like Basically, if you have ever heard of a famous person, they are probably in this movie, which is really cool. And it's not just... It, this isn't like a certain DreamWorks movies where they just jam famous people in there are like not shots of dreamworks there are plenty of other terrible animated movies and studios that do this they don't jam the voice talent in there just to have the voice talent to put on the cover these are genuinely great voice performances and they get some inspired choices for all these characters right you've got mariah carey as the mayor uh billy d williams as two-face uh conan o'brien's in it jenny slate uh, i said zach galifianakis uh rosario dawson Jenny Slate is contractually ob- obligated to be in every notable animated movie. And I sign on to that. I actually witnessed the contract signing. It's a beautiful thing. Exactly. I interrupted your final point. That, that, that was it. Just really well made on top of being a fantastic bat- use of Batman and his mythos. And in these dark times, you know, if you need something a little uplifting, you just need constant, ju- like constant, clever jokes and sight gags this is the thing for you not that this has been a hard year or anything 2017 just a year like every other year with no bad things happening so i don't know why you need escapism it's been peachy anyways speaking of things getting dark gabe you are a writer on the internet uh why don't you tell us where we can find your writing on the internet and what you've written about recently or in the near future since this is going to take a few days to come out Let's see, I am on the internet, uh, uh, substreammagazine.com, where I do a weekly feature of the five uh, album tracks that you should know that week. Uh, This week is the last one for 2017. Uh, I am also on uh, awesomemitten.com, and I just, in uh, November, wrote a giant article about Fago, and of course, uh, the Insane Clown Posse as well. Of course. As you are want to do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gabriel Akins, uh, giving bad opinions about a variety of subjects. And True. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's everything I have to plug. Excellent. Well, it's too bad that no one will get to hear this because you plugged your uh, your magazine outside of the plug section. But if they did get to hear this, I think it would have been a delight to have you on the podcast, Gabe. We look forward to have you on again. All right. Thank you for deleting this section.
And now we, not just I, are sitting with Patrick Haynes as joining me, your host Tyler Hannon, is co-host Kayla Zainange. Hello, I'm here. We're both here and we still have a guest joining us. Right now, joining us is a departed superfan. <laughs> <laughs> you may know him from that. Patrick Haynes. It feels it feels bad to say that in 2017, given oh. everything. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. We will always have those memories in our hearts. <laughs> we, we have a movie that's much more appropriate to 2017, I think. Pat, Pat why don't you tell us what movie you chose for this year and why you chose it? Uh, yeah, so I chose uh, Blade Runner 2049. Um, I chose it because... It was my second favorite movie of the year um, after uh, Lady Bird. But uh, Blade Runner, the original, is probably a top five or ten uh, all-time movie for me. So it's definitely one of the movies that, like, as soon as it was announced, I was like, okay, that's, like, my most anticipated movie for... And I think it was announced a while ago. So I was like, whatever year, it eventually comes out. And, uh, yeah, it was just... it's like visually stunning and definitely like a lot deeper emotionally than I expected it to be. And yeah, one of my, yeah, one of my favorite movies of the year by far. Was definitely super excited for it, given everyone involved. Uh, you know, you got your Denis Villeneuve, um, blanking on the Jared Leto. Jared, <laughs> Jared Leto. Sorry, sorry. You have Jared Leto. Uh, you have another Jared Leto scene. Uh, Jared Leto's antics in the news are always a fun addition. And then also, I guess you got like Ryan Gosling, Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins. Yeah, yeah. Harrison oh. Ford, that guy. <laughs> Doing. You know what? He's he put in some work. Mm-hmm. All right, so I got to be I got to be that guy and ask how it held up to your expectations as like a super fan of the original. So I would say it exceeded my expectations. Uh, I would say that I expected it to be a much different movie than it actually ended up being. Cause you know, the original is like, there's definitely some more kind of like sci-fi and then cool kind of graphic uh, or I don't know, uh, like shot kind of based stuff going on than typical action movies, but it's basically a chase movie for the majority of the film. And then this is like this, weird like psychosexual kind of drama and then it's like all this stuff about the meaning of life and like reproduction and all this kind of existential stuff and it was definitely not anything that i expected but uh yeah i mean i i went in expecting that i'd like it a lot and i think i liked it more than i anticipated which I think was generally the consensus, even with the good talent. I don't know what people, how people right. expected, but I mean, it's. I don't know that I was expecting a direct sequel, and that it would delve into uh, some the topic of very recent movies I've liked, like Ex Machina, which is essentially where right, does right. the AI end and the mm-hmm. soul begin? Are we so different mm-hmm. on the machines, and etc.? So it was a really interesting experience yeah. for me because I actually, admittedly, even still have not ever seen the original. So oh, wow. I wait, I thought you watched it before. Nope, we didn't have time. Oh wow. Ben's dad wanted to go see it for his birthday, so we just went. Ben's seen it. He really likes it. But okay. so for me I went in like pretty blind, not really knowing a lot about the universe or anything. And even still I found it to be like one of the more captivating film like in theater experiences I've had recently. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of that definitely has to do with Villeneuve and this 
cinematography. (laughs) You yell the whole time about the cinematography. It's one of those movies where like you're kind of rooted in your seat the whole time and it feels like an experience. The entire scene of, uh, it's only probably like two or three minutes, but of uh, Gosling just walking through like the ruins of Las Vegas with like the way it's shot with uh, sand being super red and everything. Deacon's just really did a wonderful job with it. But uh, yeah, that whole scene and then everything in uh, Los Angeles downtown and then the scene where uh, Gosling is like being tempted by the uh, billboard or whatever you want to call it, version of Joy. And just visually, one of the more stunning movies I've seen in years. And I just got to say, as someone who has loved Ryan Gosling for a long time, Obviously, Ryan Gosling does not need anyone's help or pity. He is a beautiful and talented and (laughs) rich man. Uh, But, you know, I just feel like sometimes he does not get credit for being a good actor. You know, we just think of him as a pretty face. And this movie, granted, for all the things going for it, it really needs someone who can be riveting on screen, even just sitting there emoting with the slight take of your face. Uh, It needs someone who you can be with for that time. And he's perfect. I remember saying to my fiance in the car after we saw it that uh, I always, for a lot of the reasons you were saying, I always liked Ryan Gosling a lot, but I was never really, or at least not for a while since like a couple of his earlier movies, all that impressed with his acting, but he really killed it in this, uh, like specifically remembering the scene where he, uh, I guess, uh, are we, are we doing spoilers or what is the, okay. So the scene where he meets without, knowing at the time, but when he meets Deckard's uh, daughter, uh, supposedly, for the first time, but he thinks that he is the child, and then... Oh, man, yeah. Just, like, when he kind of has that little facial tick, and then just, like, erupts inside the room, and then has to go back to uh, Robin Wright's character to speak with her after that, and he fails the test and all that. Just, like, really great acting. And then, also... uh, I was really surprised by, I'm going to butcher how to say her name. I, Sylvia, I want to say it's Hex or Hoax or something or another like that. But the actress that played Love, yes. the uh, main replicant who worked with uh, Neander Wallace, was definitely the biggest surprise because I, I don't know if she's been in anything major previously, but I didn't know who she was. And I thought she was I maybe even better than Gosling in the movie for the best performer. Yeah, I have no. I had not seen her before that I know of. I have no idea who she was. But... I don't think she's been in any like big American yeah. movies, <laughs> to my knowledge. But yeah, I the the entire cast in this movie was perfect, and the entire mm-hmm. cast, every well, okay, minus I forgetting <laughs> that Jared Leto was even in this movie, and like it's really it's, not for that long. It's very upsetting to me that they wanted David Bowie to play that part, and don't, Jared Leto yeah. was the one that I was going to bring that up, but. And that's definitely like a role that you could see him, David Bowie, like doing a great job, like incredible. just killing it. And I mean, like, and instead you have Der- or, uh, Jared Leto choosing to wear contacts that made him blind so he could pretend to be blind. Like, that's, I legit that's just a feel choice. like he's like, this worked for Daniel Day Lewis. It'll clearly work for me and not at all make me look like a silly child. I don't know. I, personal vendetta against Leto aside, I yeah. just felt riveted by all of the performances and also the story. I know a lot of people 
were complaining about it, about how like they didn't really feel like very much happened, which is my least favorite complaint ever about <laughs> right. movies, I think. Go figure that they tell a contained, like, coherent story. It's the like, worst thing Nothing blew up the for the entire two hours. What the hell? <laughs> but yeah, no. So, th- But the other thing that I really liked kind of to go back to the Deckard's daughter thing, like, for me personally, there are a lot of movies where you have, like, the very special boy who had no idea that he was the hero and then he became the hero. So it was really refreshing to me to kind of see that role be subverted to a woman and also the one who is obviously like qualified and good at things to be like the leader and not just this rando guy that they pulled off the street. It does a very good job. I don't know. You get to watch him reckon with that fact and find, he finds his place in the world again, basically in the last, I don't know, half hour of the movie. And I think it handles that really well. And uh, bringing back, like going back to the original, if you would have told me that the sequel that Sean Young's character would end up being more important than Harrison Ford's, even though she doesn't, uh, she appears, but it's not really appearing and kind of a weird thing with that character. But it, the character is basically the through line for the entirety of the movie. And if in connecting the original to this, if you would have told me that her character is arguably the most important from the original in this one, I wouldn't have believed you, but the way that Villeneuve kind of wove that into the story was Really great. Or I guess I should say uh, the screenwriters were Hampton Fancher and Michael Green. So I guess not really Villeneuve, but yeah. I I did. I watched the first Blade Runner for the first time this year, shortly before seeing the movie. And the fact that that relationship becomes the through line that connects the two movies surprised me (laughs) because it's not that it's unimportant to the first movie, but. Yeah, you would expect it would be like maybe something having to do with Rutger Hauer's character or something or another like that. Like Sean Young is, uh, I mean, she's basically an eighties female character in an action movie in that movie. It's (laughs) not the most (laughs) deeply thought out role, but, uh, to make it like a complicated and, uh, um, kind of fully fleshed role in the sequel without even really appearing that much was, uh, pretty cool. I thought. And they don't answer whether Deckard's a replicant. They, if anything, they just kind of deepen the mystery. I think in an interview, though, they did I say mean, that he, like, canonically, if he is the there, there's so many different versions, like cuts and everything of the original Blade Runner, and it's pretty clear in, I guess, non-canonical now versions of the movie, but ones that Scott Ridley Scott still had a hand in. So I feel like it's almost just lightly confirmed yeah. <laughs> like that scene with him and uh, with uh, Deckard and Neander Wallace seemed more or less like as close to a confirmation is, but there's still did. mystery. <laughs> Soft. There's just not, right, I, right. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess I would also say just if anybody's listening and they haven't seen the original and they were like, iffy on watching this, I had the best time ever watching this. It's really like, it's not at all the movie that you go in expecting to see. And then it also should be said, like, don't let like news about it being like a box office failure or whatever kind of color your expectations going in. Because if you look up pretty much any review, it's one of the more critically acclaimed, like across the board movies. If of anything, the year. you should want to see it more because there's no way this movie should have gotten made with that big of a budget. <laughs> it was a terrible <laughs> <Right>. idea. <laughs> But they really make the use of that money. We yeah, we got an incredible piece of art out of it. And I hope that despite 
the absurd box office numbers that I really feel should have been better. Um, I appreciate the donation out of the kindness of the studio's heart to our cultural. Well, I just hope that it doesn't prevent Villeneuve from getting. He's doing Dune next. Oh, right. Oh, my God. I forgot. He'll, he'll be fine. <laughs> the only person in the world I would want to see you try to take on Dune, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Oh, yeah, I wanted to mention one more thing about 2049 real quick. I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, scores and soundtracks kind of just in general. And the Vangelis one from the original is definitely one of my favorites ever. Mm-hmm. And the one for 2049 that Hans Zimmer and uh, Benjamin Walfish uh, kind of collaborated on is incredible. It's like this definitely a great callback to the Vangelis uh, soundtrack while also like modernizing it. So if you're into like music scores or soundtracks and all that kind of stuff, it's also one of the best from the wild. I wake up early in the morning and I'm texting you. Even with your hot temper on, still needs to go to die. Well, it's okay, I'm ready to fight crime. You're the project now. Yeah, I'll be somewhere to create a nurse now. Yeah, LP apparently being connected at some point, but not getting like the final cut or whatever. It's interesting. I'm definitely going to be a fan of this one. But, uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chad. Should be a great year. Nothing bad will happen. Um, it'll it'll completely overthrow the trend of the last uh, like 20 years being progressively worse i've been having a great time i don't know what oh, you're talking yeah. about <laughs> this is definitely not the, the third segment that's ended with what do you mean 2017 was rough i don't understand <laughs> Oh wait, we can add dramatic piano in the beginning of this? What does that do? Click on that. Okay. I just want to know. Okay, that has to play while Lauren's talking about Bert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm oh like, this is nice and all, but I'm like, so does every podcast that uses that get the same dramatic piano? This is only dramatic piano drums ballpark. This is the kind of like, music where like dark outside wow that was a great discovery zencaster has been so good to us oh my god i love this <laughs> This is, this is wild. <laughs> all right, okay, all right, we got business, business. Okay, fine, fine.